Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective. Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a Triad production. I'm your host, Dr. Graham Taylor. My guest today is Dr. Richard Winters. Richard is a practicing emergency physician and an executive coach at the Mayo Clinic. He is also the Director of Leadership Development for the Mayo Clinic Care Network, where he facilitates retreats and delivers programs that train leaders at healthcare organizations worldwide. Richard's authored the recently published Wall Street Journal bestselling book, You're the Leader, Now What? Leadership Lessons from Mayo Clinic. We've got Richard with us today as we discuss leadership and strategies to reduce burnout. Richard, welcome to the show. So nice to have you here. Thank you, Graham. Thanks for having me. Nice to have you. Hey, you know, as we talk about this subject of leadership, let me just start out with who are the best leaders in your life? Yeah, I mean, so it's it's interesting. So I have an opportunity to coach leaders, right? And so right. each day as I'm meeting with individuals, there's different things that come out of each individual leader. That is something that is very effective. So coaching has been a really nice way of experiencing just different practices. I think the best leaders, and especially here at Mayo Clinic, are those individuals who are able to connect the mission and values with the way forward and what's happening right now. And so connecting patient stories with what we're doing and where we're wanting to go. I'm going to hold that just for right now. And I want to come back and we can expound upon that a bit together. Yeah. But take me a little bit deeper. How about yourself personally? Who are the best leaders in your life? Best leaders in my life are, I would have to say my wife, you know, working alongside my wife That's at pretty home. pretty cool. So it's interesting. We met, we met each other in medical school. We were medical students together nice. and she became a surgeon. I became the emergency physician. And then we had children and my wife decided that she wanted to stay at home and take care of the kids. And so now she's, you know, running the family and, and running me and making things uh, helpful for me. We need someone to run it, don't we? We do. And she, definitely she's the, the bottom line there for that. For me, the best leaders, honestly, a lot of the stuff I get from is kind of virtually, honestly, individuals that I haven't necessarily met. And so through reading and through listening and hearing from people mm-hmm. far away, like how they're approaching things, those are yeah. those are the individuals that I really learned the best from. That's really good. I think, you know, when we're growing up too, I think we find people, whether we recognize it or not, coming alongside us to yeah. influence and mold and shape and inspire maybe even help us vision cast some things that we get to do in our lives. How about growing up? If you don't mind me just kind of prodding just a wee bit, because I think people that reach the positions that you've reached and the things that you do and the passion, clearly I've I've read a lot about you and the things that you do and the things that you bring to your work, these are, you know, the whole idea of giving forward. We've had people give to us in ways that have influenced and shaped and molded who we've become. How about growing up? People that have just kind of stand out for you. Yeah. So I am not the typical story, I think, for a physician. So in high school, I was a punk rock skateboard kid. And so I graduated from high school with a C minus, probably that's generous average. And and so, you know, when I first told my parents in college that I was thinking of becoming a physician, <laughs> there was some laughter, which was appropriate that came out of them. Um, that's great. Somewhere along, so I, my grandmother got sick. She had Lou Gehrig's disease and we took mm-hmm. care of her at home. That started building this interest in medicine. I started working at a local hospital as an orderly and had some interactions there. And so in college, it just started, it it turned on. And so the first individuals really were both chemistry teachers, ironically. Mm. And so one of them just kind of, it was really the first adult who took me in and I think recognized, at least from my own perspective, that there was some talent there and some interest and 
and and helping me to find kind of kind of find that in myself and the second individual the same way i mean it's just these these adults who would have thought that i would have befriended chemistry teachers but really they had a, a huge impact on me i think they were the first to really to really see me i love that phrase you're talking about I, people that have people that help us find something within ourselves. I think sometimes, you know, when we're going through our lives, we're in our forest, we can't even see our own trees a lot of times. And we get to have as people outside that might be, you know, kind of our mental, you know, a little bit older, a little bit more experienced, and they get to see some things in us that maybe we haven't discovered yet. Yeah. Uh, and they begin to kind of identify and name and bring to our attention a side of us or a dimension of us again, that maybe is not necessarily brand new, but when we kind of tap into it, we say, hey, maybe I've got some talents or skills or abilities in this area that I can begin to bring to a little greater awareness, maybe even to fruition in a way that can really contribute in some meaningful yeah. ways in life. So true. Yeah, I love that. So you're, you're taking all these experiences. And, and for those listening, Richard has been in a number of positions throughout his professional career, managing partner of a democratic physician group, chair of the emergency medicine, president of an 800 physician medical staff and CEO and founder of a managed care startup, not to mention his involvement with executive coaching, adult development, medical education. So in all of this experience, let's talk about what are you seeing makes for a good leader? You were, you were intimating this as we began today, and I asked you to just hit the pause button. Let's go back and hit play. What makes for a good leader do you see? And, 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 and why do we need good leaders? I think there's a lot of, as we think about leadership, we tend to think about people with power who are kind of pointing from the balcony, telling us what Sorry. to do, right? And I'm expecting that maybe some of the listeners are like, oh, physician. And, I, you know, as a physician, I go into a room, I, I talk to a patient, and then I write orders. And there, right. there very much can be this perspective of, of the individual leader as the individual with power, formal, you know, abilities to get things done. Th that is not where I think leaders are most effective or where they come from. And so, my own story was as I was finished residency in emergency medicine and I'm working, taking care of patients one at a time on a shift and starting to feel like there's some things that could be improved. Mm -hmm. And so how do you improve them? You're either complaining about them and, you know, pointing out that things are wrong or you're going to become a part of how to, to fix them. Yeah. And so was fixing them, then going and having meetings with individuals and then writing orders and telling them what to do, or was... Was it more trying to understand all these different perspectives of how to approach things and then coming together and, and collaborating on making things move forward? And, and that for me was like this turning point where I started participating in meetings and, and hearing the different voices of nurses and hospital administrators and patients and trying to put these things together. I started to see leaders who were able to bring these ideas together and start to move things forward. And so for, for me, that's where I think the, the idea of like being a really good leader started to, to occur. Like, that's what that is. It's not just power. It's actually bringing different perspectives together. There was a voice of hospital leadership, which was finance and things like that, quite different from the voice of the bedside, you know, taking care of the patient. Yes. So I went and got it. I did, did an MBA program. And then actually one of the, the courses was around coaching. I'd heard about coaching, you know, you like Bobby Knight throwing chairs on the basketball court. Right. That's kind of a different kind of coaching, same word. But what I found was a course on how to think and how to think about how we think and how to help others think and how about how to help others find their effectiveness. And it just paired so well with this idea of what a, a great leader is, is, is I think someone who's able to meet with individuals one-to-one -one and, and help get the best out of them, to be able to meet with groups and facilitate large groups of individuals together. And then I think a really important part is being able to then look at yourself 
and see these these parts of you that you may not think are the best, most effective, and some of the things that are limiting yourself, and then working through that. And so, mm-hmm. I think our best leaders are are operating on on those levels, really self one to one, and as they're working with groups of individuals trying to improve things. Yeah, I really like that 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 encouragement for kind of a meta awareness or that meta thinking, thinking about thinking, being on the outside, yeah. and being intentionally looking at that that way. And and I love that kind of that 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 vision of being able to come alongside somebody to be a part of something to step into it not so much from an authority you know to those that are maybe subordinate or whatever word we want to use but kind of coming down and into coming alongside joining in in doing so and taking that position there's the absence of judgment there's the absence of kind of having to wear the authority and in fact there's probably more of an opportunity to find the answers from within and get people to recognize what you just said right there, encouraging them and prodding them gently, benevolently to think about, hey, what are some ways that we can work through these things, but maybe facilitating that by being right alongside and at the same level of being involved in it. Yeah, I think our best leaders really look at individuals as colleagues. And it is yeah. hard because as you go through this, you can talk about coach and client, you can talk about leader and direct report or employees, or right. you know, it's very all very hierarchical and formal. But I think our best yeah. leaders are looking at individuals as colleagues, and those are individuals at any age group, some maybe above or below in terms of formal leadership status, sure. but they're looking at just humans who yeah. each have their own experience and, and how do we best move forward together? Maybe in some ways this question maybe inherently answers itself, but just answer for me, why do you think we need good leaders? We need good leaders. As you've worked in this field for so long, what is the importance of a good leader in an organization, in a group? A family, just that that theme overall. Let me just say, so one of the things I hear people commonly say is they're talking about meetings, like, oh, meetings, let's get rid of all the meetings. Okay. And so let's imagine that. Let's imagine we have no meetings. So how are we going to make decisions? Is it going to be individuals working in isolation alone, each having their own perspectives and, and kind of trying to push? And then that really becomes this position of power and, and how do things work out in that way? And so there needs to be some way for us to get together and, and to be able to consider things together and to to be able to see the agreements and disagreements and, and the different points of view forward and to move forward. And so how are we moving forward? And I, and I think organizationally that's, you're talking about mission and values and you're talking about the culture that you're building. And so in a place like Mayo and, and for the listeners, any, anywhere they're, they're working, there are missions and values and those sorts of things. And so our best leaders are going to connect those, those values and that mission with all these different perspectives on how to best serve the, the people that they're serving and, and identify ways to move forward. So I think you can be the leader who thinks of themselves as the boss of others. And certainly part of the job of the leader is allocation of resources, hiring and firing and, sure. and making sure things are going well. But I think a lot of times it's the, the leader is just kind of the keeper, the nurturer of the mission and values and and moving the strategies in ways. And, and so for, for where I'm at, it's to serve the needs of patients. Yeah. And, and so that's what the leader's doing. It's really not an individual over others. It's us together. And I'm the nurturer of these values and the mission forward. You're talking kind of from a leadership position right now, this idea of moving forward together, the the connecting of the values and the mission and the improvement and the growth that can take place. Shift a little bit with me, if you would, as you work with folks in your trainings, how do you help them identify and develop their own personal leadership style? So I think, first of all, each of us who becomes leaders has expertise. It's our ability to get things done. 
Mm-hmm. And so, you know, medicine, whether you're a nursing leader, an administrative leader, a physician leader, and certainly outside of medicine, the same thing, you find individuals who are able to get things done. And then it's those individuals who are often given the the formal titles. And so there's that common phrase, what got you here won't get you there. And so that expertise is quite helpful. But then when you once you start leading groups of individuals, you really have to be putting down your expertise. You really need to, need to be seeing things in different ways. I love this metaphor, and this is all you know part of talking to to leaders of of how to conceptualize their role is that we each have this this perspective, and this comes from Ron Heifetz out of Harvard. I love the metaphor of it's dance floor on the balcony. And so each of us as we're experiencing our lives, we're interacting with colleagues, and we have this experience of what they're saying and and how we might re- respond. We hear kind of the music of the situation, and we have the the dance. And in the moments, it can be very reflexive and automatic. But how helpful it can be for us to be able to find some time, some moments where we can stand up on the balcony and and, and uh-huh. start to see things from different perspective outside of our reflexive kind of expertise in those moments mm-hmm. and start to put things together in different ways, start to see maybe different parts of the dance floor that we weren't aware of or hadn't acknowledged at the moment. I think a lot of leadership is that, is being able to to take yourself, to take your colleagues up to the balcony and start to see situations from that perspective, not, not just from this isolated, I'm the expert and this is what we've done and this is what we should do. But as we're on the balcony, we're seeing all these different things that are going on, mm-hmm. all the agreements again and disagreements. How do we put this stuff together to move forward? So step number one of leadership is, is putting down your expertise, realizing that actually the feature for you is trying to, to not know the answer but you're trying to help find and discover the answer. Mm-hmm. Those who know the answer know their answer from behind their blind spots. And that leadership doesn't tend to be as acceptable and in very highly kind of fluid dynamics. It's really good. There's a guy named Watts Lewick that wrote a book called Change. It's one of the earliest books I read in my career way, way back in class. And he talks about very much what you're talking about. Again, this meta view standing outside and being able to look in that the view from the balcony where we step outside and we see things and, kind of a larger, more appreciative perspective of all that's going on and putting down that authority position, allowing things to be seen from the inside and then working from there, from that meta perspective. Right. That is the key thing really. And as we're talking about the kind of these meta moments, yes. it's the ability to understand. And I love this, you know, the concept of there's the stimulus and the response, the emotions that come, that arise in the moment and our ability to like to separate that initial kind of emotion and how we're feeling things from our response. And in that space, being able to think about things in different Mm -hmm. perspectives and a leader is doing that both themselves and with colleagues, they're able to say, okay, reflexively, this is what I would do, but let me just for a moment, and it could be seconds, like think about other perspectives and that helps you move forward in, in more effective ways. I think in the field of psychology, you know, we work with what we call our secondary conscious and primary conscious. Those things are aware of us. And what you're talking about here. I think in an analogous way is you're talking, and this is what Watson talks about as well, of there's kind of the primary change or the secondary change. We can work within or we can make we can be on the outside looking in to where things can fundamentally shift, I think in some very, very meaningful ways. And, and, and I love this view. You know, the leaders you work with today, what are some of the challenges that 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 leaders are experiencing today that 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 you work with and help them kind of work through? What are the biggest challenges? So I think, I think again, there, there's like individual challenges ourselves. We have our own fears and worries, our own kind of expertise, the things, our own blind spots. That's one thing. As we're meeting with colleagues, understanding all the various parts of them that they're bringing to the equation. 
and teaching them from that perspective of them having their own blind spots, fears, and worries, and how to work forward with that. Mm-hmm. And I think a, a big way this also comes forward is is a, a challenging thing is you have groups of individuals, which are all individuals with their own blind spots, their own fears or worries. They're all coming together. And how do you come together? And, and as we're dealing with issues, how are we making decisions? I think it's helpful for leaders. I love kind of frameworks and structures and metaphors and those sorts of things. And there's a framework by David Snowden called the Kinevin Framework. It's C-Y-N-E-F-I-N, which is very, very helpful for me. And so sometimes when we come together, the decisions are clear. Anyone in the room would know. And that's those are easy situations. Then there's decisions that are complicated where you actually, it requires an expert. And so if you were to get four different emergency physicians taking care of a patient with shortness of breath, we would all agree that the patient has shortness of breath, their oxygen levels are low. Our goal is to improve that. We may have though four different ways of helping to improve the, that patient's state. You know, some of us may order some tests, others not. Sure. And so, but within this expertise, we agree on the inputs, we agree on the outcomes, and but there's you know some kind of science in there that, that gets things to, to the final outcome. And so this is the easy stuff on this side. You, you can ask an expert or everyone knows. What oftentimes happens is leaders are dealing in, with situations that are not clear, that are not complicated, but they're actually quite complex. And, you know, we can take COVID recently is a, a very complex situation. Things are arising and, and, and you know, kind of coming and going. The, the variables that we're going to consider, we don't agree upon. Um, if you get a bunch of people in the room, even like, what should we be talking about? It's hard to even know where to start. Mm-hmm. What are the possible outcomes? It's hard to even know. And we can t- so like put COVID aside, talking about scheduling, talking about what time you open, you know, your location and close, who you're hiring and firing, what your market strategy. These are all really complex issues. Yeah. But oftentimes as we're getting in rooms, as we're, as we're leading, we're running meetings, getting people together. And you'll find we'll be talking about topics and some people think that things are clear and we should, we all just know, I don't know, we have best practices. Why are we even talking about this? Right, right. Others are like, you know, I've already taken care of this. I know it's, I'm the experts. Let me just tell you what to do. Right. And then others are like, this is complex. And so a difficulty for leaders is within that confusion, helping people to come together and understand that actually this is a really complex thing and we need to be opening up perspectives. We'll be right back after word from our sponsor. Continuing education is both a requirement and a learning opportunity, but finding the right CE provider can be challenging. AATBS, a triad company, offers continuing education for psychologists, social workers, marriage and family therapists, counselors, and behavior analysts. CE courses are available both individually and as part of our new All Access Pass. All Access Pass provides a library of over 250 unique courses. That's more than 800 hours of CEs, with new courses being added every month. As a special offer, Behavioral Health Today listeners can save 15% on CE purchases. Visit us at aatbs.com bht and enter promo code bht15 during checkout. That's aatbs.com bht. Check out our library and check off your CE requirements today. Yeah, I think to open up those perspectives, it, and, and you've used about three times in just what you were just saying right here, this this idea of blind spots. It it takes a certain level of humbleness and vulnerability, doesn't it, to yeah. kind of go into these areas. And a lot of times, given our own fears around vulnerability or being exposed, particularly you know with sometimes higher degrees, we're we're afraid to kind of go there. 
How do you nudge people to take a look at whether it's individually or maybe kind of whether it's kind of a group think, you know, blind spots? Yeah. How do you, how do you nudge people into that, that, that greater self-awareness? It's funny because I'll, I'll go in, organizations will say, hey, can you come help us out? And I'll go in and I'll meet them. And one of the first things oftentimes leaders will say is whatever you do, don't mention this. Because right, it's right. like that, you know, this is the thing that we don't want to mention that because if we mention it, it gives it's like Voldemort. Don't mention Voldemort. It's because, <laughs> right. you know, and, and so we get in these sort of situations for that. But those are the very, uh, I'm thinking, okay, that's what I'm going to mention. That's one of the first things I'm <laughs> right. going to mention. When we're moving forward in these really challenging s- situations, I think we just need to deliberately ask what are our fears and our worries? There we go. And each of us individually have them. And as groups, we have them. Our, our, you know, our fear that we're going to waste our time, our fear that that there's just so many fires that we need to stomp out, our fear that we're going to be exposed as not being good leaders or that, that we're going to be exposed as being incorrect. Yeah, I mean, just so many fears and worries that we all have. And so unless you're ex- explicitly bringing those things forward, calling them forward, yeah. these are the fears that are, they're the monsters that are going to be living in the dark that are going and, to be And they're going to be controlling everything. Yeah. And they're going to yeah. be controlling everything, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. What I like, like you're saying right here is that maybe the good leader is able to have this great holding capacity, you know, in a, in a non-judgmental, encouraging way to, to be able to maybe almost name the fears and the worries and the you know, the Voldemort's that we dare not name, name or mention, those things that we are, are, are believed. And mostly because, you know, we, we don't mention those things, given our fear of if we mention them, we're going to open the floodgates and now we're going to be, you know, overwhelmed by and we're going to have to deal with and it's above our pay grade, you know, emotionally or otherwise or as a group. And what you're saying is, what if we as leaders come in and name some of those fears and worries and normalize them, universalize them and encourage folks to lean in with the leader's direction and holding and to make it okay, and to watch how groups can work through those difficult times. I love that encouragement. Yeah, I mean, so the, and it's, and as you're coming together around these really complex issues, and each of individuals has different perspectives, and there's agreements and disagreements, and you're deciding how to move forward, you can put those fears and worries in your vision, you can identify how you'd like to decrease the chance of those fears from occurring. And so if the fear is, is that as we move forward, this is actually going to hurt our ability to work together as a team, your vision will be to also preserve teamwork or to improve autonomy. And so you're going to go towards the positive and away from those sorts of fears. If you're deliberately suggesting those ahead of time, then I think it helps a team as you're moving forward and deciding which things you're going to be doing to, to kind of decrease the chance of those fears and worries from occurring. So it very much gives you almost the energy for the movement forward because the energy to move forward is to try to avoid those fears. And so you're leveraging both the positive future and running away from the, the negative potential. That is profound. That's very, very well said. I, I really like that. Those fears can lead down this path. You know, we're, we're talking today about, as, as we talk about being a good leader and the things that they can do, you also talk about the importance of, from the leadership position, it allows one to recognize and work towards reducing burnout mm. and also emphasizing well-being. Weave that part in to the leadership's role. Yeah. So I think there's a few ways of thinking about this. Burnout often talks about it's like us against the world. And and oftentimes, if you go on social media, it'll be individuals complaining about how they're burned out because of this other individual, because of this organization, Mm. because of whoever the political leader is, because of the lawyers, because of, I mean, it's like you have no efficacy in that sort of space. It's it's, it's kind of like that external locus of control. I'm only as good as my circumstances around me. Perfectly said. 
Yeah. Yeah. Perfectly said. And so what, so I think what we all want to be doing is finding our internal locus of control, our own efficacy and, and not give it up. And so, yes, like this is happening to us. And yes, there are those variables that are hurting us. That's only part of the story. And so from an organizational perspective, I think of three different levels. And so one is the level of the organization. And so is the organization seeing burnout and the well-being of the individuals working there as being important? Do they agree that it is a, is actually an organ, organizational kind of systemic issue? And and are they measuring it? You know, in the emergency department, we measure vital signs. I would never see a patient without knowing the vital signs. In an organization, one of the vital signs is, you know, the revenue, the cost, the yeah. quality, but it's, it's also really the, the burnout and well-being of those who are working there. So if we're not measuring that, it, it, longstanding, it's not going to, it's not going to do well as an organization. Yeah. So that organizational level, I think then that's also how we're working together. And so it's how we're running meetings and, and whether as a leader, I'm running meetings and the leadings, the, the meetings are all leadings, really like report outs where I'm telling people what, what's going on and, and really not getting input and people are not working well together. It's not, you're not really getting the best out of you. And then also then finally is the individual level and on the individual level, there are things like, are you sleeping and eating well and meditating and exercising? Very important. I know I'm crusty. If, if I have not, if I'm working right. a few nights of ED in the row, emergency farm in the row, and I'm not exercising, I haven't eaten well, I'm crusty. And, mm-hmm. and so it's going to be, my chance of becoming burned out is higher. And so that is part of it. Another part of it, though, is the way we're making sense of our situation and the, make, the way we're making sense of the world, which is also enmeshed with our own fears and worries about our situation, about not being heard, about losing control and, and our own blind spots. And so we need to challenge all of these, all these sorts of levels. I'll leave it there. And then we can get more into like, so what, what does an individual leader do in those sorts of situations? Segue into that for us. Yeah. So we have uh, new physicians and scientists who, as we hire here at Mayo Clinic, I give a talk to them and as part of their kind of orientation. And one of the questions I'll ask is like, you know, name the 12 cranial nerves. They can all name them, you know, name the components, like, like metabolic components, and they can all name them. And then so name the components of, of well-being. <laughs> and no one can name them. Like, we don't know. And let's admit that there's some argument, even amongst well-being experts about what right. the true definition of well-being is. And I'm not talking like... Uh, hedonic well-being, which is, you know, I just found out last night I had a drink, felt really good this morning. I don't feel so good. Like that kind of well-being comes and goes. I'm talking about eudaimonic or psychological well-being. And so there are frameworks, I think, that are essential for us and leaders to understand. And so for me, Carol Riff out of the University of Wisconsin put together this eudaimonic well-being framework. And I put it into, because I'm a physician, into a mnemonic that I call pagers. And so P is purpose. And so the sense that we're aligned with the purpose of the organization of those that we're working with, the values, and that our missions are aligned. When, when those are out of alignment, we're at risk, I think, of being burned out. A in pagers is autonomy. And autonomy isn't like, I don't care what you say, I do what I want. That's not autonomy. Autonomy is a sense that we're being heard, that we have a voice. It may be the group moves in a different direction than we would have moved, but we feel that we're being heard and that we've, we've had some impact there. There's value in that. There's value in that. And then G is growth. So personal growth, the sense that we're getting better as we're moving along in life, better today than we were yesterday. And, and we have things that we're looking forward to and, and growing and learning as individuals. And then E is environmental mastery. And, and that's really centered around the resources that we need to get 
things done. And so do we have the resources? And, and the resources may be limited, but are we doing what's what's possible to gain those resources, acknowledging when they're not there and, and, and finding ways around that? And then R is positive relations. And because it stinks to work with people when it's negative, right? You want positive relations. And so how do we run meetings and, and create things and that encourage that? And then the final one, it's it goes back to ourselves, which is S is self-acceptance. And, and as I'm coaching leaders at all levels, the highest levels on down, our ability to accept that we are fallible, that we make mistakes. And and in healthcare, this can be a huge thing. I mean, their patients can can die. And as as we have these experiences where we see there may be some things that we could have done better, are we able to accept that, that we we would move forward in different ways? If we're not self-accepting, it's it's going to hurt our, our sense of, of well-being and I, and I think start to push us towards burnout. That's really and good. So, so now as a leader, you have like, I think these two th- ideas. One is there's there's three different levels. There's a systemic, there's the individual, and then there's the, the interpersonal kind of mm-hmm. dynamic. And then you have the pagers of well-being. And if there's autonomy issues, you're going to, you need to solve it at the systemic kind of organizational level. You need to solve it at the inter-individual level. And then you need to yourself kind of figure out how you, how you can attain autonomy. And leaders can look at it from that perspective and, and, and help to encourage that. I really, really appreciate that. That allows you to not just identify these things kind of in the pager reference, but then at each of those three levels, see where is this taking place? And being conscious and aware of that allows us to know the entry points, maybe some ways through that. Yeah. And, there, and there's, I mean, there's a lot of research actually coming out of Mayo Clinic about burnout, really that's quantifying it. And and we're still very much like if 10 years ago, if if I were to ask people, how many of you were burned out? Like no one would raise their hand. And now I, everyone raises their hand. It is a language that we're developing ourselves that we're trying to figure out how to get through this and, and work towards well-being. And so none of us know the answers, but we're we're seeking them right now. And and to develop the language to do that is important. There's there's research that comes out that shows how important leadership is in the burnout and well-being of of their of their colleagues. And mm-hmm. and things like are are you are you having discussions with individuals around personal growth? Are you having conversations where you're teaching them about what's going on inside and outside the department? Are are they feeling like they have autonomy? Those sorts of things, as you go down the different questions, they have, and I'm thinking of of one study in particular, it showed that for every one point change, it was a 7% decrease or Uh increase in burnout dependent upon what the leader was doing. And so the leader is definitely a part. And, and, I like to think of things as not formal leaders. I'm also thinking about leaders at all levels, which is really each of us have informal impacts on our colleagues. And so it's it's a nice recipe for just thinking about burnout and, and well-being. I like that idea. Of each of us has some leadership in our lives. We, we kind of coming in this next question, holding that just for a second and seeing if we can blend it in. What if someone wants to be a really loyal and hardworking follower, mm-hmm. instead of what we you know might think is the proverbial leader that we're talking about, what would you say to them about their role in this type of leader-follower dynamic? Yeah, I'm going to come back from maybe a couple of perspectives. So first of all, Thanks. I think of leaders as being individuals who develop leaders, not followers. And so mm. hopefully you're working with someone who's trying to get the best out of you to find your kind of leadership abilities. Because being a follower is essential, like we're following the, the group but yet is it is being a follower really finding the best out of yourself and so i think you're wanting to be in a situation where you are growing where you're feeling a sense of autonomy and you're not just kind of 
filling in the checkbox that the boss boss has created. Yes. Um, some people may enjoy that. And so for some people, work is just a small component of what they're doing. Right. And work is there to get the salary to pay for what's uh, actually provides them personal growth outside. But it sounds like you're em emphasizing, though, that even within maybe even that way of setting it up in their minds, there's still some opportunity for people to get a more purposeful, meaningful sense of themselves if they can understand they can contribute some things and actually be growing even in that dynamic. Yeah, I think we need to be as humans, like searching those yeah. for those environments. I think of, so we have a garden in our backyard and we throw a bunch of seeds down and some grow and some don't grow. And it's the soil, the sun, the rain, all those sorts of, we are not as humans seeds like fixed to a specific garden. We have legs. And so if we're in a situation that is not working for us, we need to walk to the different garden. And yes. so I think the, you know, follower, you don't want to be just trapped to this garden where you're not getting nourished, where, where, you know, it's not the best for you. So I think even as you're following, I think you're thinking about, is this the best place for me? And, and it's difficult because we have, I'm in this place where we grew up or, you know, we have this a mortgage or there's family. There's a mm -hmm. lot of things that compete for our time and attention. And that may hold us to, to environments that may be less uh, helpful for us. But I think it's important to find, as as you're talking about your locus of control, where we have efficacy. And, and in these kind of leader to colleague relationships, finding how we're being able to be our best in those situations. That, that's a great encouragement. That's a great encouragement. So Richard, if we're talking about some leadership styles, how do you think about some of these personas that yeah. people can take in terms of leadership? Yeah. So, I, you know, we talked about how I think leaders are really working with colleagues. And I think the climate, I'm going to talk about hats now. The hats, okay. the leaders wear kind of various hats. I think of five different hats. The, the climate is, is that it's positive, forward-looking. We're trying to get the best out of each other. And we're really viewing individuals that we're working with as colleagues. But I think the five hats is being, so one is coach and one is mentor, one is teacher, one is supervisor and sponsor. And so commonly people think about, about leaders as being kind of the mentor and the supervisor. Right. And so we'll talk about supervisor. The supervisor is the one who hires and fires, you know, keeps things in line and very essential. So every leader is going to have some supervisory responsibility that they're flexing at times. And then there's mentorship. And this is one of these things where when you're mentoring colleagues, they come to you because you've, you've been there and you've done that. You have subject matter expertise and they want to hear what you think. Yeah. And as you're mentoring, you're helping your colleagues see things through your eyes. And so people come to you so you can say, you know, I hear what you're saying. And if I were you, this is what I would do. Or given the situation, I would suggest you do that. That's a mentoring relationship. So I, I think for leaders, it's we tend, again, classically think of leaders as individuals who are supervisors and mentors. You're there right. and you're kind of pointing what should be happening based on my experience. I think we should do this. You're flexing your, expert, your expertise. Important hats, they need to be worn. Let's put those aside now. Okay. And so then there's the head of teacher. And so teacher is really, as colleagues come to you, and as you're, as you're meeting with groups of colleagues, you have the, the opportunity to see what's happening both within your kind of work group and then outside your work group. You're, you're having meetings mm -hmm. with individuals on the outside. And, and to be able to teach about things that are happening, help individuals gain new skills, that's very important for a leader to be doing. And so teaching, a, a, I think, a, a major hat that they're wearing. I want to differentiate coach from mentor. So I was talking about mentor as being someone who helps you see things through their own eyes. A coach is someone who's going to help you see things through your own eyes. Got it. Right. And so, so as a leader, not going, not leading with your expertise, but actually as someone's coming to you, viewing them as the expert of, of their life, of their situation, of their position, 
And so what you're going to be doing is you're going to be asking questions that are going to be prompting them to, to gain insight and see parts of the dance floor mm-hmm. in, in better ways. And, you, and it's almost like you're, you know, remember the old computers, like the old Windows computer, and, and you'd open up Windows and the ball would start spinning. Mm-hmm. And then you started adding RAM and they can start processing more. I think as good leaders, when we're coaches, we're able to hold lots of information and then put it together and, and present it back to our colleague in a way that they can think through things more efficiently. And so there's really an art to that, isn't there? Yeah. On the yeah. one hand, I hear you saying this. On the other hand, I hear you saying right. that. So how would you like to move forward right. as opposed to the mentor, which is saying, this is how I would move forward. Gotcha. This is creating leaders as, a, as opposed to followers. Yes. And so yeah. then, you know, the final hat there is going to be sponsor. And so many individuals have good mentors, but other individuals who are willing to kind of put themselves out there expend their own social capital to, to help others advance. And we've, we've seen particularly for minorities and women may have mentorship, but not a lot of sponsors. And so how can we use our own social capital to be able to say, I don't know if you thought about this individual, but they would be really wonderful for this role. I would suggest you consider them. Really good. And so while you're putting yourself on the line there, you're actually advancing someone else. I really like that. Leaders Mm-hmm. In and out of those hats, in any even given conversation, you may be supervisor, you may be coach and teach and go back to coach. It is that dynamic kind of conversation that I think helps teams and individuals. That's excellent. I, I really like that last piece too. You know, we we had on our show recently some discussion around privilege. And I think in that reference, there's it's kind of a very heated issue right now. But in our discussion with our with our guest, we're talking about how in positions, let's name it as privilege, you have opportunities to be your best self, to morally have an opportunity to almost what you're describing right here as the last one, sponsor to create opportunities for this and using social capital for, for the best of its opportunity for others to reach all the things you're talking about, whether you're coaching them or mentoring them or teaching or supervising, being able to bring in this social capital and that encouragement, putting yourself on the line. And I think that's what it is to further opportunities for them to further themselves with the potential that they have to realize. So that last piece really sticks with me too. That's good. Hey, Richard, you know, we're kind of winding down for today, but if you would leave us with a final message, what, what might you encourage our listeners to consider for themselves in their current leadership positions or those that are wanting to grow into leadership positions? What do you want them to be left with from today? It is difficult to be a leader. It's mm-hmm. difficult and oftentimes isolating. You find yourself in a position where you're trying to reconcile th- the agreements and disagreements of colleagues and who are friends in many cases, and it can be and it can be quite difficult. Mm-hmm. I think that it's important for each of us as leaders to identify that that actually these are times of tremendous growth for us. Those times when we're mm-hmm. feeling so uncomfortable, it's often those are the times when our own fears and worries are rising the most, and and those are the mm-hmm. times where we can. I think me with colleagues, individuals who are positive in our lives, whether they be mentors or coaches, and try to kind of work our way through those sorts of things. Because in that space is where we become better leaders. As In that space, we are able to better handle complexity and to help others as we move forward. Yeah, and and really I feel for individuals who are in that because we've all been there. The, the walks in the rain with the, you know, the bad movie montage and the sad <laughs> music, it happens. Right. What I like, though, is you're talking about if we're going to be in that space, which as leaders, we're going to be in that space, period, Yeah. how we can best be in that space and how we can be our best selves and move things forward in that space. So you're kind of reframing that space can be something that's challenging and bring up our worst fears and nightmares, or it can be a, a humbling and it can be a vulnerable place where there can be some confidence if we kind of navigate through it in some of the ways you're encouraging us to do today. 
I really like that. It's good. Hey, you know, we would love folks that are listening today to be able to connect with you, to find out more about your work and also your book, You're the Leader, Now What? Give us some resources that folks can follow up with. Yeah. So I have a website, richardwinters.com. So my name, I'm on Twitter at Dr. R. Winters. And I'm at on LinkedIn as Richard C. Winters. Wonderful. Wonderful. Very creative there. I was very, well, Hey, I like, I like simple. <laughs> Let's keep it simple, stupid. I love to kiss. That's right. That's good. Hey, Richard, sure. Appreciate you being with us today and all your sharing. It's, it's been a joy to be with you. Thank you. Thank you, Graham. Nice to be here with you. I also want to thank you, our listeners, for joining Richard and me today. It's always great to have you with us as well. Regarding our episode today, I want to thank you and remind you that it and its resources and all of our other episodes can be found on our webpage at triadhq.com bht. So if you would check out our webpage, triadhq.com bht and explore our archive of podcasts and resource materials. Thanks again for being with us on the show, and we'll look forward to having you back with us next time on Behavioral Health Today. We appreciate all the support from our community, and if you like our show, one of the best ways you can support it is by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a review. Behavioral Health Today is a podcast part of the Tribe Network, all rights reserved.